Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Leesburg Talk Podcast. You're going to be listening to a recording from our midweek teaching that happens on Wednesday nights while students are meeting from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. The adults have an adult Bible study, and uh, this is a recording of, uh, of their study in Romans. You're always welcome to come and join us in person Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8. God bless, take care, and enjoy this teaching. Jeez crazy world you know it's a crazy it's a crazy world and it's interesting that um that as i mean this week has developed as it has and um it's interesting that we're landing in romans chapter five because it ties in i think so well again romans so far in the past several weeks has been a commentary on our world today you know i think that's so fitting it's so it makes sense it works and it ties in with some of the the major news stories for the past week so let me start Excuse me, Bob. Praying, and then we'll dive into Romans um, five. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah. What's his name? Alec. All right. Alec. Okay. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we come to you now. We thank you so much for your word that continues to shape us. And so as we dive into your word tonight, I pray, Lord, that you uh, open our minds, our ears, our our hearts to hear, receive, and apply your word to us. Uh, we thank you for uh, your word's transformative power. Lord, right now specifically, we lift up Alec to you as he's taking his test. Lord, we pray. Uh, we he. We assume he's had, or understand that he's had a rough week in preparation. And so, Lord, we pray that you be with him, Holy Spirit. We ask that you uh, call to mind the things that he studied and heard. Uh, give him peace uh, during and, and after this exam. Uh, Lord, help him to sleep tonight uh, and not be anxious over the results because uh, we know uh, that you are in control. So the Lord help us, help him, uh, and us to to live uh, with that ultimate dependency and trust in you. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray this in His name, Amen. So, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So I was um, was it Saturday or Sunday? Maybe I rolled over three, four o'clock in the morning and turned on the TV. And saw that uh, one of the judges had died, Naomi. And I, th- I thought it was interesting at first um, because the statement released originally, y'all remember what that said, right? She died from what cause? Yeah, mental health. Uh, they lost our mother to the disease of mental health. And. Um, and that struck me as, huh, interesting. That's a, I haven't heard it phrased that way. And, of course, as the week went on, we, understood, we, came, we could have implied pretty early on uh, that it revolved around suicide. Um, but, def, I mean, you know. It's a, it, it's, it, I mean, it's, uh, again, it's kind of like to say, well, she died from complications or she succumbed. She, uh, how, how did she phrase it? Um, complications of mental health. Uh, it's a euphemism, isn't it? 
we, we understand that. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, like as we were talking about earlier, earlier uh, speaking about abortions in terms of uh, women's uh, reproductive rights. That's a euphemism for abortion, right? It's, you know, it's uh, women's health care. No, that's not women's health care. It's so, okay. Uh, but, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, and, and, of course, I mean, th- this is pr- prevalent for us largely because I mean, we're raising children in a world where the vernacular that's re- that's of our day is changing so rapidly. And uh, from what I, of course, I'm no professional, um, but from what I see, uh, mental health issues are on the rise. Would you all, do you all see that? And, and, and so, of course, there's all kinds of reasons that you, we can ask as to why this is happening, uh, what causes this type of increase in mental health issues, what ha- you know, what's called, you know, I, I mean, there's chemical imbalance is one thing, uh, and then you have on the other end of the spectrum, in my opinion, you, you, so you've got mental, uh, chemical imbalance. Um, uh, you know, uh, Sammy says it so well, there are three Ps you need in mental health services. You need prayer, you need people, because you can't go through life alone. You need to be able to talk with people and uh, all that. And, and, and sometimes you need pills, right? Uh, and that's okay, that's good. And so treat, 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 whatever. Um, but then on the other side of the spectrum, you have uh, what I would consider to be, I think, uh, uh, Const- uh, Augustine uh, talked about a morbid introspective tendency that we have. Uh, when, you know, this idea of, of me and I in the center of the world and in a culture that, that is elevating mental health, uh, <laughs> there's a moral power that's gained, in my opinion, uh, in our culture today by having mental health issues or identifying on the spectrum of LGBTQ or whatever. You have this moral um, uh, prestige of, of sorts, this moral authority that comes which I think is uh, interesting. Anyway, it all comes down to this question um, or, or this observation that in our world today there's a significant lack of peace in every regard. There's a lack of peace, um, certainly, as we've talked about already, like Rodney, you know, he is the, oh, oh hey, buddy. <laughs> um, uh, there, there's a lack of peace when it comes to on a cosmic level, right? And, and Paul's addressed that in Romans 1 through 3, 1 through 4, uh, he's addressed this cosmic lack of peace. And, and if you recall, the reason for the lack of peace is because we are at war with God. Not that God is at war with us. Now, I saw a video this past week. Uh, um, I guess its from, its origins were uh, TikTok. And this, is got, this guy, uh, he was deconstructing, which is language of the moral, secular religion of today, but um, deconstructing his faith. And, and he said, I used to believe in a God who was up in the clouds and waiting for me to mess up, right? Uh, um, well, that God doesn't exist. <laughs> You're, you've already messed up, right? And God's not waiting for you to fail so he can damn you. Uh, there is sin existent in your life, and he has the moral authority to do so. That's what Paul says in Romans 1 through 4. Uh, you, you have sinned. You have been the aggressor. So there is no peace with God, right? You get this cosmic lack of peace. And you've got a, a personal lack of peace in our world today. 
I mean, we see that, I mean, very easily in all kinds of, it's like a diamond with all kinds of different sides. A lack of peace relationally. Um, and then you have the th- a third element, I think, a lack of peace with self. Uh, 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 in many cases, a morbid introspective tendency that focuses on me being in the center of the universe and interpreting everything through my eyes and my history and my, you know, again today I was told, well, you can't have an opinion on that because you don't have a uterus. Well, okay, like, uh, okay, so (coughs) there's an issue with self and all of those, God, others, and self are all results of sin. (coughs) You look at somebody like uh, Mrs. Judd who's incredibly popular, successful in life and yet was 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 haunted i'm sure with uh with, with all kinds of stuff i'm sure i mean you, you look at how you, but the, the question is how how can that be possible my wife loves to say more money more problems you know i want to like kick her in the shin every time she says it because i'm like honey wouldn't more like jet skis come on right you've never seen a sad guy on a jet ski have you um i'm sure you have but um uh, so she she always says more money, more problems, um, and she you know she's not here tonight, so I can say she might be right in some levels on that. Um, uh, why would uh, Mrs. Judd and so many other people who are incredibly successful in life struggle with peace? Struggle with peace. Well, Paul talks about that in Romans five. One through eleven, he talks about this cosmic peace and, and and what that means for us now and what it means in the future. And I think it's just so fitting that that we that we land here tonight. And so let's dive in. Uh, Romans five one through eleven. <clears throat> you know, uh, again, it comes. It it, it 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 asks this question: What do you do with hope? Is there a reason to rejoice? And and Paul deals with it if we look at this section one through eleven um we could kind of outline it uh with this outline uh verse one uh there's a therefore it starts with a therefore and verses one and two state paul's main point in this chunk okay so we're looking at a diagram of what we're about to read before we read it so we can kind of uh navigate through it uh, verse one and two uh, deal with um, uh, the main point. That's Paul's main point. Uh, verses three through eight are going to develop that main point. Okay, uh, and it's going to be hinging on these words, not only but and also. Um, it's developing this main point that's established in verses one and two, and then uh, verse nine and ten uh, state two very similar truths in parallel. Uh, these words come first in the Greek and are repeated in ten. Uh, so verse 9 and 10 state two very similar truths in parallel. And then verse 11 is going to restate the truth or summarize this section. Uh, it's going to restate verses 1 and 2 in verse 11. Okay, so that's kind of like the map of how we read through it. Uh, yeah, I think looking at what Paul's argument is is very important or beneficial in, in these chunks. Uh, if we read through it and say, okay, what's, what's the purpose of this sentence? What's, it helps us kind of navigate it more. So let's, let's look at that. Uh, r- really, you could look at three phases of this, these 11 verses. Uh, past justification, 
present peace and future glory. And that, that's what Paul's going to be walking us through. Um, so let's start with verse 1. And again, verses 1 and 2 are going to lay out the main point of this section. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Okay, Paul's laid up chapters 1, 2, and 3 about how God is right to condemn. Because we're sinners, but God has stepped in through Jesus Christ. He's, uh, he, he has brought peace, right? And, and we now find justification. Right standing with God. We are made righteous, not by our doing, but by his doing. Therefore, since we have been justified, this is a legal term. It's not that you're good now. It's No, you're still as bad as you ever were. That's the beauty of it. You're still the evil person you once were, but God says, yeah, Rodney, I see your sin, but I see the blood of Jesus covering you. You're absolutely guilty, absolutely guilty, 100% guilty, but Jesus has paid your price, and therefore you're justified. So therefore, since we're justified by faith, historic past event, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So look at how these first two verses have three phases. What God has done, our present circumstances, and our future hope. What God has, God has justified us by faith. Counting my sins upon Christ. And now looks at me and my debt, my tab is paid. It's, a, it's not a subjective realization is objective fact what god has done through the death burial and resurrection of jesus has now applied to you and to me therefore what god has done already changes uh, we, we we looked at well what what is the current now result we have peace peace with god our identity has been changed because of the past event and we now have peace with God. We have peace with God. We have gained access into grace. Have you ever thought, I mean, I know you have thought about how important access is. We've lived through it. I mean, thankfully we're out of it now, but, or generally out of it now, but think about the, the height of the pandemic and the lack of access we had to anything and everything. Locked at home, you know, in solitude and places are shut down and everybody's freaking out and and, and there's the, the panic that set in now we have access we've gained access one of the things that stands out again is that this access has been gained because we have peace with god now this peace of god is not our doing again it's god's doing uh peace with god it's not subjective it's an objective reality god was at war with me I mean, I really need to see, see the gravity of this to really fully understand and appreciate the access we now have. God was at war with me. Why? Because I was alien. I was, uh, I, I, I was uh, deserving of wrath, Paul says in the first couple of chapters. I deserved it. But he has made peace. See, peace comes 
from God. And I have to wonder if, not every, and I know there's uh, chemical imbalances and all kinds of stuff that cause the lack of peace to be felt. But I have to wonder if sometimes our lack of peace uh, that we feel is because we haven't really, truly acknowledged the gravity of our state. See, we were at war with God, and God brought the peace through Christ. Nothing I did. So what is required of me is one simple thing. Surrender. Surrender. I mean, how often do we struggle with not having peace and it's circumstances that are, that are outside of our control? I can't change cancer. I can't change Alzheimer's. I can't change uh, kidney failure. But I can surrender. I, 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 when I see the moral... Uh, 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 issue that I bring to the table, that how I fracture my relationship with God, and yet he brings peace to me, all I can do to obtain that peace is to surrender. God was at war with me. He has made peace with me. And now my opportunity is to surrender. But, but, but things, so often we, put, we, we look for peace in all the wrong places. That's a song, or it should be a song. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, well, we look for peace in all the wrong places. I mean, for, for two years, and well, for, I, I guess you'll, you'll, you keep coming back, and so I guess I can say my dumb opinions and, and not run you off completely, but um, for two years, we have looked for peace throughout the pandemic and we've trusted in things like masks or government orders to bring peace. And did it work? No. Absolutely not. It didn't, it, it didn't bring peace. In fact, in many ways, and I'm not dealing with the efficiency of, or uh, effectiveness of masks, whatever. But if anything, it caused more division. <coughs> uh my, well, I've got family that got up and left my outdoor dinner. Got up and left. We were sitting outside eating at the end of the pandemic. Everything's, I mean, people are traveling and flying. And, and we're sitting down eating. And they're not even eating. They're sitting on the patio with us. And they said something about, oh, wait, you're not vaccinated? And I said, I said, I said no, I'm, no, I'm not. Well, well, why aren't you? Hey, look, we're not against the vaccines. You're more if you want to do uh, have a vaccine. I'm I'm for that. I'm pro vaccine. They're available. You you want it, you can get it. Well, well, why aren't you? Well, I've got my reasons behind, it, and that's that's all it really is. Here's the thing: I'm glad you got it. Happy you have it. Enjoy it. Well, you you are the reason people are dying. Well. How about that? That's news to me. Of course, I thought it was somewhat humorous, and I'm like, poke, poke, poke. And my wife, my poor wife, is sitting there, and she starts to melt. And before long, she, st she stands up, and, and she, excuse me, I'm going to go get, you know, ketchup or whatever. It was a lie. She's going to cry. And I could see that, which made me want to poke harder. 
now you've hurt my wife's feelings and well, I don't care if you ever come back, and so I'm going to see if I can set this, paper, this baby in stone. You know what I mean? And so um, <laughs> that's, that's how I roll, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, they started the fire, um, and I'm your huckleberry. You know, come on. Um, and so we chatted for a little bit, and I said, listen, I'm happy with you having the vaccine. You got it? What's the purpose of the vaccine? To keep you healthy. Great. Wonderful. And you take it. Yeah. Okay. Then what's my status have to do with you? Well, you're the reason. Have you lost any friends? In fact, I have. I lost a couple good friends to COVID. (laughs) But guess what? That had nothing to do with my vaccine status or anyone else's. There's no rhyme or reason to this whole dumb COVID thing. You got a healthy husband of yours. Went down hard. Holy cow, he's a healthy guy. My 83-year-old grandmother had COVID twice, 83 years old, older than dirt. You know, <laughs> She's fine. She presented as low potassium. Everything was salty to taste. And Aaron goes, and he has a collapsed lung or whatever, you know. It's crazy. No rhyme or reason. Here's the thing. You can put your hope on vaccines or government officials or even laws but it doesn't bring peace. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith in the grace in which we stand. See, the only uh, possibility for us to stand, uh, you know, this, uh, this idea of, of stand, um, it, it's to plant your feet. It's uh, uh, where previously... Uh, uh, we are on rocky ground because of our sin, because of our rebellion. Now we have this peace to stand, this ability to stand. And we can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Peace comes only through God. Um, I, I, we have peace because of Jesus. Now, our issue often is that. Um, we think of peace with God, and we moralize our peace with God. And you're familiar with this. We say, well, I'm going to do better to be better so that God will have more peace with me. If I'm good, uh, good, better, best, never let the rest till you're good as you're better, and you're better as you're best. Uh, like I will, so, so we think of floors, right? That's a, a picture I read this past week, and I thought, oh, that's a great picture of it. We think about floors when it comes to our standing with God. Well, I'm not that good, but at least I'm in, uh, and I can be better and better and better, and that's good as I should be, but I'm not as bad as I used to be type thing, right? And, and, and floors make, you know, we can get higher on the floors, and the higher we go, the better we are. Uh, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking, instead, instead of floors, he's talking about doors. A door, I mean, th- think about the Old Testament picture, the holy of holies, right? Uh, uh, only after heavy ritualistic cleaning could the high priest go in. He'd have to tie a rope to his ankle and a bell, and if they heard the bell quit moving, they had that rope, they could pull him out because the, the presence of God was such a heavy, heavy thing. Why? Because you're sinful. The sins had not been atoned for, and so there is a separation between man and God because of man's sin. <coughs> and God has every reason to punish, to smite. You, you think about the, the, the account where they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and... Uh, they're told not to bare hand touch it, right? No man can do that. 
here's how you're supposed to work and operate and, and, and function in society. Uh, uh, this is how you're going to handle the ark and don't touch it. And, and it starts to fall. And what, you remember the, the account what happened? It starts to fall on one of them put their hand up and grab it to stop it from falling. Noble act. Killed them. Why? Well, that's not fair of God. That's not right. He was trying to protect the Ark of the Covenant. God made the rules. These are God's rules. God said, don't touch it. There's an appropriate way to carry it. Don't break, don't break the rules. The God who makes the rules sets the rules and enforces the rules, and he's right to do so. The picture of a potter and clay, right? Now, listen, God's the potter, Scripture teaches, and he uses the clay, the same clay that's made to, that's to make a cup that you drink out of, the same clay that's used to make a latrine. The, the potter decides how he's going to use the clay, and the latrine can't say, well, God, I, I think I'm going to identify as a cup today. Well, you've had urine in you, no thanks, right? That's probably not how, but I mean, you, you know what I mean? Uh, um, the potter gets to decide. God makes these rules, and I, and I have to wonder if the lack of peace in our world today is because the God who makes the rules for our good, for our, our, our good, our positive purposes, maybe the, 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 the lack of peace that we feel in our world today, in our communities today, is because we, we have, instead of submitting to the king who brings peace, we rise up and say, well, but I think I am, yada, 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 yada. I'm going to make the rules for me. And how dare you have anything to say about what I do? Say, what, God, how dare you say anything? You clearly messed up. You see what I'm saying? Um, we were talking, I can't remember the conversation or with who really, but I was talking with someone recently in the, in the last two weeks about the issue many people have with submitting to Jesus. Well, if I submit to Jesus, then I can't do this, or I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do this. You know, I'm young, I want to have fun, or whatever. Not realizing that, when we live by the standards that are prescribed throughout Scripture, it leads to human flourishing. See, God's not saying, hey, here's, here's your rule, have sex with one person. To, to hold back from you, he says that for your good. And we, we, uh, we, we all know and have seen or have lived through the repercussions of not doing things in God's standard and God's way. I've got a fantastic marriage to Amanda. She is by far way out of my league, and I'm blessed by her daily. Do what? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's getting deep in here. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I thought you were riding my coattails for a second too, but no, no, you're flipping it. <laughs> uh, but, but let me tell you this. Uh, all, all joking aside, I am blessed by Amanda. We've got a fantastic marriage. Uh, uh, but our marriage, we have these shadows and these wounds from her previous marriage. It's undeniable. You've been there. You've been there. You mentioned. They exist. It happens, right? Because, because 
something either in our control or outside of our control was not the way God had designed it to be. And those things are still hurt. They still pop up their ugly head from time to time, and we've got to take inventory of whatever the situation is and, and move forward. Uh, God is divorced for that reason because it leaves wounds, and it, deep wounds. Sometimes I wonder if the lack of peace that we feel in our society is because we fail to surrender to the king who's bringing us peace, and instead we rise up to make <laughs> establish our own laws, and we say, well, God, I know you made me a, a latrine, but I want to be a cup. I identify as a cup or whatever, you know. Um, listen, God's rules, God's standards throughout Scripture, when we live according to his word, it's not to hold us back, it's to allow us to flourish. When we see that God is not the um, maleficent God, maleficent, is that the right word? Uh, who's, looking back, who's looking for a reason to condemn? He's not malicious in that. He's not waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you. But instead, he's given you the guidelines. He's paid the price through Jesus, and he allows you uh, uh, to have access to him in this present state where we can find hope. Uh, when we see God not as the God who's with a lightning bolt right, waiting to strike, but instead the God who is, uh, who, who is right and just and, and, and worthy to condemn, but gracious to pour that out, his wrath out on Christ and, and, and in return give us righteousness. He's no longer against us, he's for us. When we, when we surrender to that, when we surrender to living by his decrees, we find flourishing. We find peace. I wonder how much of our lack of peace is because we don't surrender. We say, well... If I only made so, you know, X amount more, I would have more peace when it comes to this. Or if my children only did this or this or didn't do this, then I could have, you know, instead of just, God, I surrender. And he brings peace. Uh, the, the, the third picture of that is uh, the future. We, so where we currently stand, we've obtained uh, by grace, uh, by faith, this grace in which we currently stand, and we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. That hope is looking forward. Uh, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Think about how that, when, when we live in this constant state of surrender, The future doesn't look nearly as scary. Why? Because we know the God who's in charge of the future. It's the picture of manna in the Old Testament. You, you know the account as the Israelites left Egypt and they're traveling throughout the desert and they start bickering and moaning. God, did you bring us out here? To let us die. At least in Egypt we had meat and all we could eat. I mean, yeah, we were slaves, but at least we had food. And now we don't have food, we don't have water. What's going on? And so God established this manna. Uh, the, the manna is the Hebrew word. It means what is it? It's this flaky substance that would appear on the grass, fall from heaven of sorts. Um, and they, would, they were told, if you recall, uh, to gather just enough for that day. Don't gather more than you need, just enough for you and your family for that day. Don't keep eating until the morning. And if you did, what would happen? 
Yeah, it would have maggots in it, right? You know, unexplainable. It would, it would rot. Why? Because, listen, God is saying, you're going to depend on me every day. Take enough for today, just for today, and tomorrow, worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will provide for itself. I'm the God who's leading you, who's directing you, who's guiding you. So you don't have to worry about storing up for yourself food for tomorrow. Only on the, uh, the eve of the Sabbath could you collect for two days' worth, if you recall. And that miraculously wouldn't develop maggots. Provision, God's constant provision. When we surrender to God, to this king, when we surrender to the God who brings peace, we can find peace in the present and this future hope of glory. We know that God is going to take care of tomorrow because God is the God of tomorrow. He's the God of today. He's the God of tomorrow. Um, okay. So, these are the first two. This is the, the, the thesis. Let's, let's lay it out. Well, let's look at how he presents, um, um, builds the case for this thesis. Uh, this section we could title The Present Tense of the Christian. Uh, life is joy and suffering. Verse 3 says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. So because of what God's done, we now rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. But God chose his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've got a lot, of, <laughs> a lot to say about this section, so let's go back and look at it again. Now that we rejoice in our sufferings. So we've been justified. We have now found peace. We've been granted access uh, to God and access to peace because of the king who brings peace, who paid my debt, who restores, uh, takes my sinfulness and puts upon me righteousness. I can now find peace in this life. But now in our sufferings, even our sufferings, we rejoice in our sufferings. Look at uh, verse 3. I won't have it to present easily on a slide, I don't think. Uh, have verse 3 and verse uh, 2 parallel one another. We rejoice in our sufferings. We re, re, rejoice uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 2. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So 2 and 3 kind of parallel this picture of rejoicing. We know we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. See, suffering's a tough thing, right? We've all been there on different levels and schemes. We, uh, this idea of suffering, uh, suffering is is a tough thing. But the, look what Paul says: suffering produces endurance. I think that's one of the big things we struggle with uh, in in life is knowing how to handle suffering. Suffering's inevitable. We all know that because we've all <coughs> excuse me, suffered on some way, shape, or form. But don't we as parents then try to shield our children for su from suffering? That's As we were talking earlier, that's why I don't let my daughters have TikTok, for example, and social media. 
right? Because it can produce suffering, right? And I'm not saying it's bad. If you, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not judging. Uh, I'm just saying, listen, there are, there are long-term effects of social media usage, and you're familiar with that. Um, and to eat, you know, I, I'm not condemning anything. I, I, I'm just saying, <laughs> there's a dangerous level of protection. So here's the thing. I can work really hard to try to protect my kids from stuff, but what happens when the floodgates open? See, there's a dangerous level of that, right? I grew up at St. Uh, Edward Catholic School, first or fifth grade. Uh, then we were kicked out because, well, all kinds of reasons there. But it was fun. Um, and then, so sixth grade, entered public school for the first time in, in, in history. I mean, it, I went from, like, nuns to, to uh, uh, public school, and it was a much different ballgame. I didn't know any. I didn't know anyone. I didn't. I, 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 there's one guy specifically. I bought zebra cakes for this guy every day my sixth grade year because he was bigger and tougher than I was. You know, I don't know how to handle this, and so I can just appease the monster. Here's a zebra cake. You know, uh, until one day I decided I'm not going to do that anymore, and then we found ourselves in the bathroom across from Mr. Dawson's uh, room in the sixth grade hallway, and all of a sudden there was blood and there was pain and there was and it was fun and. I never had to pay for a zebra cake again. It cost me a little bit, but I never had to pay again. Um, my my parents didn't shield me a lot as a child. Just the circumstances shielded me. Um, I was quite naive when I went into to sixth grade, um, but quickly my eyes were opened to a whole different world. And my parents generally didn't really care that much about what we said, did, or who we did it with. And so I had open range uh, from sixth grade on to do pretty much whatever I wanted. I had my first field party with alcohol in sixth grade. Fantastic. She won't, I mean, she won't hear this because, uh, but my mom's the one that bought us the beer. Like, she's like, here you go, do it here. Okay, that's her, okay, you're great. Thanks, Ma. Yeah, I thought she was the coolest, right? Um, I was in sixth grade. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. I mean, it was Mike's hard lemonade, but, you know, still. Um, I was in sixth grade. Um, so, anyway. Um, so, but we can go overboard with protection, though. Think about this with your children. We can protect and protect and protect. But what does Paul say that suffering produces endurance if we don't expose our children to some suffering are we producing any endurance now don't go home and say well pastor john said i gotta lay it on you all right welcome to the world of pain that's not what i'm saying at all right um <laughs> pastor john said you need some suffering <laughs> welcome home um no that's not what i'm saying I am saying that Paul, Paul says here that suffering produces endurance. See, suffering is all about how you see it. How do you see suffering? Paul says suffering is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to grow. Um, in, in our world today, and I think this is, listen, I, I, I think I, ra I ranted for one evening about the participation trophies. Did you hear my rant about that? Oh, you're missing out. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, millennial, right? Generation of the participation trophies, right? And that's that's the the gripe about us, right? Guess who gave us the participation trophies? <laughs> yep. 
hey, we didn't say, hey, let's get, you know, you're, y'all, are, y'all are all Xers. Is that fair to say? All right, we're millennials. We didn't give ourselves participation trophies, did we? Nope. It was given to us by you all. Congratulations, right? So you all developed this. <laughs> we are a result of what you have produced, all right? Uh, uh, and, of course, now looking back at, what is it, Z next? Is Z the next generation coming up? Yeah, I mean, they are not us, okay? We are now uh, millennials, and we're more proud of that one than, than we should be, but we're not whatever that is. Um, and so uh, um, participation trophies were given to us by our parents. Uh, we didn't give it to ourselves. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't either, but generally speaking, the yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, the, the, the millennials I mean, are called the participation trophy generation. Fine, whatever. I'll, I'll accept it. I think maybe some. But here's the point. We are the, the product of our, the generation before us. Uh, when we don't allow suffering, we don't allow fa- it's important as a child to learn to lose, right? We play gin and cards at the house a lot. I will never let my daughters win. Why? Because it boosts up their ego. They think they're good at something they're not at. They're not good at. Now, I might lie to them and be like, honey, your singing sounds great because I can't dare break that little heart yet. But, but eventually, at one point, she's going to come and she's going to say, uh, you know, if she, maybe she'll get better. But if she comes and she says, Dad, I want to do a talent show and I want to sing a song, I'm going to say, well, how about we play piano, you know? Like, um, because I, th- I think it would be cruel to, <laughs> I mean, you've seen the, the joke on American Idol when it first came out, right? Somebody gets up there and, my mom's told me for years I'm the best singer ever. And they're like, okay, let's hear you. And, ah, and it's terrible. And, the, and they're shocked when Simon says, you're terrible. They're shocked. Why? Because they've never been taught that, hey, you're not very good at that, right? Uh, fun, fun little story. Uh, when I was in um, eighth grade. Yes, eighth grade choir. Um, I was asked one day to stay after class. I was like, oh, boy. And uh, so she says, Jonathan, it's not that you're a bad singer, but we're preparing for state assessments, and you sound like a lawnmower in the background. Uh, She says, from now on, you're still part of the choir, but from now on, I want you to sit in the hallway and practice lip singing. Do you know what I mean by lip singing? I said, moving my mouth like I'm singing, but no, that, that voice. Uh, yeah, and she said, yeah, that's right. She said, I want you, from now on, you're going to sit in the hallway and practice lip singing. Um, <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm thankful for that. It stuck with me, right? Like, I, they're often, uh, Matt will tell me some Sunday mornings, he's like, dude, I can hear you. Like, up here playing guitar, I can hear you singing. You're so incredibly loud. I mean, you're generally ish, usually, sometimes mostly on pitch, but you're so loud. Uh, like, I get it. It sticks with me even today. Um, <laughs> but I'll never f- forget um, that that feeling of, oh, I suck at this, right? I, I, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not going to be a singer. Now, there are b- b- good ways and bad ways to do that. I mean, you can... Um, you can do that in a bad way and uh, traumatize someone. Fast forward three years, and I am uh, at Ending Creek 
uh, it's a youth, uh, three, four years maybe, I was a junior in high school, I'm getting ready to lead worship on a youth Sunday. I've got a guitar, my buddy David Bell's got a guitar, and we go out for the third service and look out, and there's our choir teacher sitting there. I didn't know she went to church there. Um, and, and she looks at me, and I look at her, and oh. I look at David, I said, David, you got to sing. He said, I'm not singing. I said, well, I can't sing. And he says, well, you've been doing it two services already. I'm like, yeah, but... But now the professionals here, you know, so it was fantastic. Um, um, the point is we need to allow our children to experience some suffering, some failure, because suffering produces endurance. <laughs> we, we, we became quite used to that during the pandemic, but we also saw the opposite side of not allowing suffering. See, see the, the challenge for us is to not allow our suffering to be an excuse for bad behavior or results. People might do harm to you. People might do bad to you, but that doesn't justify your bad behavior or your bad results. We saw that with, I mean, half of the country burning for a year. Uh, bad behavior and the excuse was suffering right or wrong, I, whether it's true suffering or not, whatever, that's not my debate. But it's undeniable that the excuse for the bad behavior was labeled suffering. Yeah, generally speaking, yeah. But sometimes, even when you do good, you get bad, Right? And we have to have them prepared for that. Uh, suffering is an opportunity to grow. It produces endurance. Uh, so what do we do when we face suffering? Well, um, shop. No. <laughs> the UPS guy sh shows up this morning. Amanda has to buy a lot. And understand, she buys a lot of stuff because of her business, right? UPS is always here. Uh, always here, and she—I mean, every week it's boxes of stuff because it's inventory that's going to different shops and stores and stuff. Like all the time, he knows us by first name, right? Like he's—he walks in this morning with two boxes, and he says, "Well, John, Amanda's been shopping again. She's not even here, is she?" Nope. But the internet works in Florida too. He says, "Yes, it does." He sits down and walks out. Have a good day, you know. The cool guy, right? He's been, he's been listening to us online, so, hey, UPS guy, I forgot your name, but if you're listening right now to the podcast, I'm glad you are. Um, he's been listening to us online, which is kind of neat. He goes to a church in Shelbyville. Uh, cool guy, cool guy. Um, you're a cool guy, um, if you're listening. Uh, what do we do with suffering, not shop? Um, instead, we, take, uh, we t take, uh, take the opportunity for what it is. When we face suffering, it's an opportunity for us to refocus we focus on what really matters. We need to teach our children to do that. When there's suffrage, and of course I'm raising daughters, and I'm starting to see uh, this really nasty vein of humanity that, that exhibits itself in teenage girls. Wowzers. Listen, there's some suffrage that must happen there, right? Um, uh, this is an opportunity when there's suffrage to, to refocus. What really matters? We have to ask that question. 
It's an opportunity for us to remove the things that don't matter, remove our attention from things that are, that are causing um, uh, um, or, or not helping the suffering. It's an opportunity to refocus, remove, and then reprioritize what really matters in this life, what really matters in this circumstance. Um, I've got here, uh, Amanda, this is not directed at you in any way. Things don't improve things. <laughs> Shopping is not the answer, right? Um, uh, things, uh, the result, even in the suffering, as you uh, refocus, remove, and reprioritize uh, what's going on in your life, listen, things might not change. Suffering might continue. That, there, there's no way to eliminate that suffering. Just deal with it. Deal with it for what it is. It's either something that's done to you, or it's an opportunity for you to grow. As Paul says, suffering produces endurance. <coughs> we grow. We improve. Character. One of the more dangerous words today, virtue. There's a book, uh, if you're a reader, there's a book by um, N.T. Wright that's called After You Believe. Fantastic book. Hefty. Uh, I, I read it, and it was really good, but it was thick. And I don't know if it was the season of my life when I was reading. I was, I was uh, in grad school, and it was a required reading there, and so I didn't really want to read it, so that might have uh, hurt me more. But it was, it's heavy. I ended up, I had the hard copy of the book. I also bought the audio book and listened to it while I read it uh, because I had a hard time staying in it. But it was so worth the waiting uh, through that because one of the big things you talked about is virtue. Uh, After You Believe by N.T. Wright. Uh, one of the examples that he talked about as he introduces the concept of virtue uh, was the... Um, the pilot uh, Scully, who landed on the harbor, is that right? Is that ring a bell? The Hudson, yeah, the Hudson. That's it, in New Yorkish, right? And uh, you know, you've got point two seconds to respond to do this and do that, and and because of the routine, small things you do, it's cumulative. Virtue, character is cumulative. I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? As Paul's going to later on say in Romans 12, in the renewing of our mind, uh, we, we need to be living sacrifices, he'll, he'll talk about. We need to understand that this Christian life is, is cumulative. Like there are some areas where as I surrender my life to Christ, I am changed in a heartbeat. We were talking about your dad earlier, right? Apparently when, he, when Jesus got a hold of him, it, it changed, right? Two different guys, the old Adam and the new Adam. But as Martin Luther writes, in his Romans commentary, uh, dealing with Romans chapter 6, he writes this. Um, he says, in the waters of Baptist, in, in the John Welch redneck paraphrase, he says, in the waters of baptistry, the old Adam was put to death. And a, a new Adam rose out of the water, uh, but the old Adam, well, that rascal could swim, uh, Martin Luther says, right? I, I think that's such a cool line. Uh, like, like, yeah, like there are things that change drastically, but then there are things that develop over time, and that's what we call uh, virtue, character. Um, we improve. We need to think about that with our children, uh, parenting through hardship. 
we can't uh, allow them, and we can't, uh, you know, the helicopter parent type idea where we avoid, we c keep them from facing any hardship. Uh, while and, 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 and there are some things that w we must do, right? But, but not all. <coughs> if we avoid hardship as we grow, uh, w we stop growing. Uh, think about it this way, and, and <coughs> uh, I'm sure some of you are probably well f more versed in this topic than I am, but um, I've got a family member who started self-medicating when he was 12 or 13 years old. Um, now he's a 36-year-old man, uh, but sometimes he makes decisions and you think, I, I, what's wrong with you, right? You know, I mean, you're, you're woods wet or something. Like, you're not, why would you make, you know, why would you think that or do that or whatever? Well, I'm convinced, and I've read some things to support this. Um, as we start to self-medicate and avoid hardship and stuff, we, we can be stunted. And so while you might be a 36-year-old person, of course, I'm not a biologist, but um, you can be a 36-year-old adult but still think as a 15-year-old if you've medicated and avoided uh, dealing with life. Um, if we do that with our kids, if we allow them to do that, um, we're setting them up for failure. Uh, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Uh, look what God is, that's what God's doing in us through this. Um, okay. That's what God's doing in us. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Uh, suffering burns away all objects of faith other than God. Think about that for a second. When I've got nowhere else to turn, nothing else to turn to, it, suffering can allow me to burn down every other uh, uh, object of faith other than God. Um, in our marriage group on Friday nights, we were talking about uh, the, how money can pollute us in, in our thinking. And uh, one of the guys, uh, I asked the question, well, how much is enough? How much is enough? And, and one of the guys says, well, you know, as Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. <laughs> and apparently he was asked at some point in an interview, well, how much, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he says, just a little bit more. Uh, but instead, if we can understand suffering as an opportunity for us to grow and produces character within us, character, endurance, or endurance, character, character, hope, we, we can start to live in the attitude of abundance. I was listening to, uh, are you familiar with the name Stephen Covey? Covey, something like that? He wrote a book called uh, Seven Habits of Effective, Effective People, something like that. Um, Neat, neat leadership book. I mean, it's it's one of those like top 100 leadership books. Um, anyway, he's got a foundation that still exists. Uh, Mr. Kobe, I believe, died several years ago, but his found leadership foundation still exists. And the CEO or CFO or some bigwig at that organization was talking on an interview I was listening to a couple weeks ago, and, and and he was asked, "What is one of the common traits you see in high executive leadership?" Uh, w character traits that you see in these 
incredibly successful, high executive leadership people. What's one of the common traits you see? And he said, uh, the number one thing is the attitude of abundance. See, when you know where success is, when you know, if you translate that to our conversation tonight, when you know where peace comes from, then you can live open-handed. You don't have to fight and claw for tomorrow because you know God's going to provide for tomorrow. You can live with an attitude of abundance. God's got me taken care of because of what God has done. I am justified. I've got access to him through, uh, by grace through, uh, 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 I've got access to God uh, by faith through grace. Because of that, I can be open-handed with life. I know suffering's going to come, but I'm not going to allow suffering to find me. Instead, I'm going to allow it to be a catalyst for growth. Suffering's going to enable me to, to take inventory, to refocus, to shape, to eliminate things from my life, to focus on the things that truly matter, to develop virtue. Uh, virtue, not just public virtue, but inward virtue. You know, virtue is that, that instinctive characteristic of life. Jesus ties it to, when he's redefining God's law, he says, uh, uh, with the example of, of adultery, he says, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. Well, it's a, virtue, it's a virtue issue, isn't it? I might never act on, on this idea, but Jesus says, hey, listen, the, the character matters. It's not just your outward uh, um, uh, display of, of what you are. It's, it's what's happening inside you as well. And, 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 so, and so that matters, and we've got to develop that. When we allow suffering to develop our virtue, our character, in a positive way, we can live open-handed in life. <clears throat> what do we do with suffering? We, we keep going. Like that country song says, when you're going through it, keep on going, right? Uh, keep going. Allow it to, to redefine and reshape uh, in a positive way who you are. And, and then what you'll find and what you've no doubt found in your lives is after you've been through a few wars, you smile when you put your boots on. You know what? That didn't kill me. All right. We can get through this. You know what? Uh, we can develop that muscle memory where we, we, we can respond uh, through faith. It says, okay, God, I can look back. I've been through that war. And I can look back and I see you were with me. Even though at the time I didn't feel that you were with me, I see your presence looking back. So I know I'm going into a fight. I'm going into a battle. I'm going into a war. <laughs> and I'll strap up my boots and I'll keep going, but I know. I know, I know that you'll be with me. Why? Because I've got access. I've got access. By grace, through faith. When you've been through a few wars, you smile when you put your boots on. And then look at verses 5 through 8. What God proves, uh, proves to us. How do we know that our hope our confidence in the future will not be put to shame, Paul says. There's an objective truth that everything hinges on, and that's the fact that Christ died for us. There are five things that Paul teaches, teaches us from the cross. 
at just the right time, he says. At just the right time, while we were still powerless. <laughs> uh, this is a historical comment. <clears throat> the phrase, at just the right time, is closely paralleled with while we were still powerless. And so it seems better to take the right time to be when we were still powerless. That is, he died when we needed to be rescued. When we needed to be rescued, Christ died for us. People, we were in dire straits. It was an appropriate time for the rescuer to rescue us at this moment. The time, at just the right time. What was our condition at that time? We were powerless. Helpless. Nothing we could do. Look at the exchange. Oh, well, that's all wrong. It's all one. That's not right. Uh, look at the exchange. Christ died for the ungodly, for us. That's repeated twice in verse 6 and verse 8. He died in our place as our substitute. He was the sacrifice of propitiation upon whose innocent person the wrath was poured out on. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jesus became the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice of propitiation. The wrath of God was poured out on him. We talked about that in depth several, several weeks ago. Christ died. We are saved by him. Uh, again, the only way for peace is for us to surrender. And, and here's Paul's point. If God was for you while you were enemies, when you were powerless... If he died for you when you were ungodly, when you were sinners, how much more will he be for you now that you've gained access? That's the beautiful aspect of this verse. If he died for you while you were an, an, an active agent of rebellion, how much more will he do for you now that you're friends? That you have access, that the door has been opened, and he opened the door for you. You didn't cut it down. You know what I'm saying? How much more confidence can we have? There's a proof in here. But yeah, man, it might suck right now. Life might be hard right now, but look what God has done for us. Look at the exchange that we've been given. Uh, sorry. I have to call her back. Um, let me answer this real quick. I'm sorry. Hey, hey. Hey, I'm teaching class right now. Can I call you back? Look, yeah. everybody says hi. Hey. Our, bye. Bye, I love you. Okay. I want to make sure she's at Nana's in Louisville. Um, okay. Uh, Christ died. The only way for peace is to surrender. If uh, Yeah, here we go. If God was for you as enemies, he will be for you as friends. If God did not give up on you when you were at war with him. Oh, aren't you thankful for that? I'm so thankful that God did not give up on me when I was at war with him. And I was at war with him. As were you. <laughs> Amen. Preach it. If he did not give up on us when we were actively against him. <coughs> he will not give up on us now that we are at peace with him. That's why there is such a confidence. 
a confident hope that we stand in, in the present, because of what he has done in the past. And the book of Romans teaches us that we can be confident in the God who loves us. And the salvation that's, possible, that's been made possible to us. Who were we? Um, well, we were the ungodly, he says in these verses. The sinners deserving of wrath. Enemies. We were powerless. We were powerless, powerless because we were under sin. <clears throat> we were unable to do anything to save ourselves. We were ungodly or wicked is a word that's used twice there. Because by our ungodliness, we, as Paul said in verse chapter 1, we suppress the truth. We were sinners because we had inherited a sinful nature from Adam. And we were God's enemies because we refused to bow a knee in submission to the king. God was rightfully very angry with us. And there's nothing we can do about it. That's who we were. And again, if us being in that status, if God will work for us so aggressively through Christ, won't he much more so now that we're friends? Look at the magnitude. Verse 7 may uh, say more or less the same thing in both halves of the verse. It kind of repeats itself twice. The point is, is that to die for unrighteous and bad people shows that love goes far beyond the best and deepest sacrifice known to us. Look again at verse 7. Um, um, oh. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. The point here is, is that God's sacrifice, his death for the unrighteous bad, chose a love far beyond our ability. Now, one of the things we need to understand here when it comes to suffering um, is suffering is not in, uh, in, instigated by God. <clears throat> so often we say, well, why is God doing this to me? Why is God doing this? And you'll, you'll hear that. Maybe we've said that before. Why is God doing this to me? Well, well God's just testing my faith. God's just, listen, God does not bring you suffering. He brings you peace through suffering, but he doesn't bring that suffering to you. That's important for us to know. That's important for us to know as, as we deal with death and life and hardships. Um, yeah, well, I'm not going to go. Uh, suffering. Um, <clears throat> suffering, God's not punishing you. If it happens, it is because, uh, well, you, you need to be ready for it. And it's an opportunity to grow. God does not cause uh, all that you suffer, but he uses all that you suffer. That's important to note. He doesn't call, cause your suffering, but he can use it. I love how uh, Peter says in chapter 2 of Acts, um, he says, but what you intended for evil, God used for good. <laughs> Think about the evil of Herod in the birth narrative of Jesus. I mean, we, you know, the Bible tells us 
he ordered that all newborns under two year, years old to be, to be killed. <clears throat> a horrific passage in history. Um, God didn't cause that. God didn't cause Herod to do it, but he used it. And in that, there's a, fro- a prophecy fulfilled. Um, I mean, I, again, I love, uh, well, I'm not a fan of Christmas um, um, as a holiday. I do appreciate the the um, fulfillment of so many prophecies because it proves to us and it shows to us that that God's a faithful God. He's faithful to the small details of his prophecies. And that transfers over to us. God who's faithful, who was for you while you were enemies, will be for you now that you're friends. God's a faithful God. Not contingent on my faithfulness because he's faithful. He's fully faithful. Suffering helps us care less about what we have and care more about who we become. That's key, the type of person, you know. And and, and, and guys, we needed, we, one of the clearest examples of that is life and death. As Christian parents, we have got to teach our children how to how to deal with death. You know, no, here's the pot calling the kettle, right? We've got, we, you know, um, we've got, a, <laughs> I know of Christian people uh, who have parents who are well, just old, um, and, and when their parent is on that, that transition from this life to the next, a uh, Christian parent. Um, I, I, I can think of one lady I, I remember seeing, and I'm blown away, because she's c- curled up in the bed with her, her with her ninety-something-year-old father, inconsolable. And I look, I get pain, I get hurt, I get loss, but I'm comforted. And the fact that like my, my, my mom and stepdad are with the Lord. There's peace in that. If I'm unconsolable in those moments, if I'm absolutely wrecked in those moments, what am I teaching my children about death? About eternity? We've got to be very careful when it comes to death. Um, we've got to be very careful because <laughs> of, of what you teach. When the prognosis is not good, it's cancer, it's untreatable. How we handle that news. One of the most powerful sermons was written by, hold on, oh man, he's a local preacher. Some of you might know him. Um, He preached at Northside Christian Church in uh, Georgetown several years ago. I mean, in the 80s-ish. Young preacher, he's a young preacher when he was there. Um, hang on, I'm losing his name. But I read his a funeral that he wrote for his wife. He was about my age when his wife died, I think in a car accident or cancer or something, quickly, unexpectedly. And the refrain throughout this funeral message was, God doesn't make mistakes. And I remember reading the sermon, and I'm just in tears, you know, like, holy cow, like, how do you preach this? Um <coughs> Because, I mean, w- without a doubt, I, I'm very confident that 
me processing through my parents' death would be much different than me processing through my, my wife's death. But he, he preached this message, God doesn't make mistakes. And, uh, man, what I mean, this is the confidence in which we stand, as Paul writes about. Um, when the suffering is extreme, and you don't have the, the strength to carry on. This is the confidence that Paul talks about we can stand in. When everything is stripped away, everything is falling away. When your spouse dies, your children die, and you're, 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 you're in agony. This is the confidence that says God's enough. John Piper preached a sermon years ago, and it, it just it's such a powerful thing. But he, he, he says this faith, this confidence in which we stand, the present tense standing of in God's presence, by grace, through faith, we stand with this confidence. This is the assurance, and the illustration he uses when you're driving down the road and your spouse dies and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and her dead body lies in the road. And holding your deceased wife and your dead child in your arms and you cry out, God, you're enough. Such a moving message. I can't remember the title. I wish I could tell you where to go find it. Such a powerful message. Such a hard reality. Because here's the thing. In the midst of that, I don't feel like God is enough. But as the psalmist writes, I remember. I remember you've been faithful. I remember what you have done through Christ, the new life that you've brought me through while I was your enemy. I remember what you've done for me. And so now in your presence, I can walk forward in, in, in faithfulness, in assurance that you are with me now because I'm no longer an enemy. I am a friend, a child, adopted. Not by my doing, but by the God who brings peace. And so as the world is crazy around us, we find peace. It's a beautiful thing. And the proof, the proof, the cross demonstrates God's own love for us. It is the past tense proof of the love that God has for us. And verse 5, the Spirit takes this past tense proof and he brings it home in our hearts in the present tense. So that we know here and now that God loves us. And so, now verses 9 and 10. We have been reconciled, so we will be saved. Verse 9 uh, says, uh, uh, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him uh, from the wrath of God? Uh, be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And then Paul's going to wrap up in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have now received reconciliation. The whole idea of these 11 verses. Is on the top of your page there. Past justification brings present peace and future glory. The Holy Spirit is the sign of that. In Platonos, 
connecting the past to the present, giving us the strength for the future. And so we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our hardships because we know that God who was with us is now with us and will continue to be with us, has renewed us, restored us, made a new right relationship with us so that we have strength to stand. That's Romans 5, 1 through 11. Any questions? Good. I feel like I just, I just feel like I yak at you guys and y'all are so kind to listen to my ramblings. It's fantastic. It's therapeutic almost. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, we come to you now. We thank you so much for your word. And Lord, right now we thank you so much for the peace that we can have because of what you've done. And so, Lord, help us to surrender anything that we might look to for peace, any idol that we make that we, that we look to for peace. Lord, help us to surrender to you, the God who brings peace. And we live in such a, uh, a rough time, uh, an anxiety-filled time, a time where there's so little peace in our world. Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Not pushovers. <laughs> not uh, uh, n- not uh, hobbits that hide in a hole and detach from society. Lord, help us to bring light to your truth. And Lord, help us to be peacemakers. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, we, we also, again, lift up Alec. Is that right, Alec? Oh, we, we lift up Alec as he um, very well could be finished with his test at this point, Lord. Uh, or if he's still going through it, well, we lift him up to you again, and we just pray for your provision, for your guidance. Holy Spirit, we ask that you bring to mind um, the, 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 the study material. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you, guys.